This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters where we talk all things property or at least as much as we can fit into this short, action-packed 27-minute roundup. So I tend to look at the news a bit and just comment a bit on some of the items from the news and also just update on a little bit about what's happening with the market and announcements that have been made and how they may affect things moving forwards. But just starting locally to put things into a bit of context, uh, this article by Paul Mitchell recently from the Manawatu Standard says that Manawatu Wanganui is ranked third on the latest ASB regional economic scoreboard. So Manawatu Wanganui has rocketed up the economic rankings with its pandemic recovery fuelled by a strong rural sector and booming construction. The region's climbed the ASB regional economic scoreboard to be ranked as the New Zealand's third best performing region in March quarter results. ASB Chief Economist Nick Tuffley said that the reason region rose from 8th place at the end of last year based on solid economic performance across the board in the past year and now had a top 5 star rating. There's two key factors to the region's success, according to ASB, and one of those is high consumer confidence backed by a strong rural sector with people happy to throw some cash around, and then the second thing, the red-hot housing market, he said. Manawatu Wanganui's retail sales hit $861 million over the first three months of the year, up 10.6% on the start of 2020, and that's something that's really pretty stunning because that was the pre-COVID days. Quite an increase indeed. Federated Farmers Manawatu President Murray, Murray Holdaway said, Commodity prices were high for everything except wool, which had boosted the farmers' confidence, and that likely encouraged some spending that had a flow-on effect for the rest of the regional economy. He does say, though, that it's fragile confidence that farmers face an uncertain future, and there's a lot that can upset that, but at least there has been the option there of more money coming into the area and a lot of people spending locally, which is great to see. Farmers are concerned about factors such as rising compliance costs, but the most pressing concern is actually labour shortage. Holdaway said other sectors had the same struggle thanks to the pandemic and a relatively low unemployment rate. Statistics New Zealand put the national unemployment rate at 4.7% over the first three months of the year, and Manawatu's unemployment rate was 4%. And of course, as we know, it's difficult to get migrant or seasonal workers uh, being available to fill the gap thanks to the ongoing international travel restrictions. So Holdaway said it's hard to find any workers and many who were available with little experience in the rural sector which could become problematic. Uh, A lot of dairy farmers, for example, will need more workers heading into spring and so we're going to have to see how we manage that. Uh, It's normally the busiest time of year and even at usual staffing levels of seven-day weeks of 12-hour days and that's the sort of work that has to be done in our region otherwise there can be animal welfare issues. So it's going to be uh, interesting to see how that is tackled. When asked about the strength of the region, Central Economic Development Agency Chairman Malcolm Bailey said the region did not rely on any one sector, which is a very good 
reason that we have a nice strong economy here in Manawatu. The region's strengths range from agribusiness and food production to large defence force and education sectors and the booming construction industry. I would also go so far as to say it's also happening at the moment as a lot of roading projects and infrastructure in the upcoming Kiwi Rail build. So what they found over that COVID period is the diversified economy has kept us pretty stable amidst the turmoil. And he does mention the more than $7 billion of infrastructure and construction projects planned and underway over the next decade. And that ensures our region's economic strength is sustainable. And that's really good news uh, in, in relation to this show for people who own property and the likelihood of having strong demand moving forwards. So Manawatu at Wanganui has recovered from the pandemic's disruption better than the New Zealand average, almost across every single economic indicator. For example, ASB recorded a 31% increase or annual increase in the value of construction underway in the region, up to $229 million over three months. The national increase was 22.4%. New car sales, which is actually a classic indicator of consumer confidence, rose in the March quarter up 21.2% in our region compared to the national increase of 9%. So it just shows our region is doing well. People have got the confidence to spend. They've got the confidence in the economy, which is great. This article as well uh, by Paul Mitchell on the same day, Māori Trust's retail development expands investment in Palmerston North. So the Palmerston North Māori Reserve Trust has recently began, you may have noticed, its 3,250-square-metre development on Rangatike Street, filling the vacant lot between Breakers and the Farmer's Home Store. It'll be fun to watch that as uh, things happen. A pharmacy, a computer store and a party supply shop were lined up to the opening uh, of the building once it's finished next year. Uh, this is the same trust that also holds uh, portfolios such as the Tikei Mall, which has got breakers and warehouse stationery, as well as Mitre 10 Mega and Countdown buildings. And what's good is the property is being uh, done by local companies, um, Colspec Construction and Chapel Architecture. So the trust tries to keep as much of its investments in the Palmer's North economy as possible, which is uh, it is lovely. So the building's... The project's building and resource consents were approved at the end of June and it's scheduled to be built by March of next year. It does say they've named the shops here in this article as Look Sharp, a party supplies, costume and craft store and bargain chemist. They do say the VRC computers will also move over to join them, although I heard uh, just anecdotally that it was it might actually be PB Tech that's going in there, which if it is, I'm very excited about that. However, um, the article itself doesn't indicate that. It indicates it's VRC computers uh, that are looking to expand. So that's good for that local company as well. Now, the Prime Minister was here in, uh, in Palmerston North recently, about, uh, just over a week ago, uh, just to do... Uh, well, there's really a few things happening. The first thing she did was she visited to officially open the Papayoya Place, uh, which is the, the stage two of Papayoya Place, and met with the uh, Minister of Defence and Tangi Utakiri and uh, that was the housing project that was hosting 50 units, measuring 52 square metres, cost $7.4 million, which I worked out was a $148 per unit, which is fantastic 
for social housing, giving people places to live. 50, pe- 50 people or couples housed in these units. Um, I worked it out, 148000 each. But over that total cost of $7.4 million, 4.6, so well over half, probably two-thirds, was actually paid for from the COVID-19 response and recovery funds. That's really good news for the council and stakeholders there. Uh, Jacinda Ardern said the consequences of COVID-19 had forced housing onto the back burner, but she congratulated the council for keeping the fires burning. She said a warm, dry, affordable home is at the core of building our communities, and yet it's been something that's been challenged in recent times. Ardern said the state was working to build up its housing portfolio with goals of increasing its additional 6,671 houses to 18,000 by 2024. So quite often they'll need to work with local governments on building an infrastructure and that's great that um, these things can be subsidised. Mayor Grant Smith reminded uh, the people present that there's actually still a common room and 10 more units to be built in Stage 3, which will be complete next year. I think they look fantastic. I think it's great. Um, Very comfortable by all accounts. And uh, really... He says, uh, Grant Smith, Mayor Grant Smith says, as one of the only councils across the country developing new social housing, we've just committed to a further $14 million towards social housing as part of our long-term plans. That's really great as well. Uh, those of you who have been driving around parts of um, Palmer's North as well would have noticed that there is uh, a number of um, places where one um, state home is being taken down and three are being put up in place as people no longer require that land and uh, require smaller homes to live in. Now, while the Prime Minister was here in the city, she also went to Linton Military Camp, and she commenced the first dig at the camp's new multi-million dollar maintenance building. The Linton's maintenance facility is expected to open in 2023, and it's designed to increase the efficiencies for soldiers maintaining and upgrading specialist military vehicles, weapons and equipment in a state-of-the-art, sustainably designed workshop. And I've seen the plans for this. It looks fantastic. Uh, The conditions that staff were working in was cold and damp, and often outside when new trucks purchased from the Defence Force uh, couldn't fit inside the existing buildings. So these are much more... um, suited for the job at hand. The current uh, facilities uh, were built in 1968 uh, and of course this this new build is a 9,000 square metre build, a very um, substantial building and it's expected to meet the requirements of the army for 60 years and host up to 180 staff. So great that that money is also being spent in this region uh, and support of defence there as well. So we'll now move on to the housing market in general. And this article by Miriam Bell in the lifestyle section of stuff.co.nz was entitled, Why House Prices Have Not Stopped Rising. So officials, official moves to rein in the runaway housing market were meant to spell the end of sky-high house prices, but this hasn't happened yet. And there are a couple of reasons for it, according to this article. In the latest Real Estate Institute information out on Tuesday, the prices nationwide were up 28.7% for the year to $820,000 in June. That data came hot on the heels of the latest information from CoreLogic, which has the average national house value topping 900000 in June for the first time ever and quotable values, which shows four regions now have an average price of more than $1 million. It seems the market song remains the same. Another month, 
another set of expectation-defying, record-breaking house prices. But it wasn't meant to be this way. The concerns over affordability and first-home buyers being priced out the market prompted authorities to take action earlier this year. First, the Reserve Bank announced it would be reinstating loan-to-value ratios for mortgages. Officially, the LVRs came back into play at the start of March, although banks started to apply them earlier. Then, on March 23rd, the government announced a new suite of housing and tax policies aimed at dampening investor activity and making the market fairer for first home buyers. Shortly afterwards, the Treasury forecast annual house price growth would peak at 17.3% in the June 2021 quarter and ease to 0.09% by the June 2022 quarter within a year. Yet prices have not stopped growing, and according to the latest Massey University Home Affordability Report, Prices nationally are now 12.4 times the average wage due to a drop in home affordability in recent months. And this has left many people asking why house prices keep going up and if that trajectory will ever end. There are a number of factors at play here. They include ongoing low mortgage rates and the rush to take advantage of them before they go up, pent-up demand, particularly from first home buyers, and limited supply. CoreLogic Chief Property Economist Kelvin Davidson says the lack of houses available to buy is a critical price driver before the March policy changes, and still is. While there are indications sales volumes have started to decline and investor demand is down, housing stock remains at near record lows and that keeps pressure on prices, Davidson says. The realestate.co.nz's latest figures on the number of houses for sale nationwide is down by 33.3% on the year in June. And I can tell you there weren't that many for sale in June of last year. And that shows a 14% decline in new listings compared to the year before. But when sales volumes go down, you do tend to see price growth slow too, Davidson says. What's important to note here is the difference between prices and price growth. The monthly figures from the Real Estate Institute and other organisations like CoreLogic suggest the rate of price growth is actually slowing, although largely due to the reinstated LVRs, he says. We feel that the market is at a turning point and growth will slow further as all the policy changes start to bed in. But for prices to fall, we would need to see unemployment rise and that is not something commentators are expecting to happen. The biggest recent price falls New Zealand were seen during the global financial crisis and there is no suggestion of a credit crunch like that. Credit is still available even if mortgage rates do start to go up. He says that while both price growth and market activity will continue to soften over the next year, prices are likely to keep rising just more slowly. So how does that affect us in Manutu Wanganui? Well, there are still a lot of projects happening here. And the larger centres are normally affected first, the likes of Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch, Dunedin. So so those markets will rise, just not as fast as they have been, but I think the regions will continue rising for some time yet, uh, particularly our region, as uh, the sheer uh, difference between um, supply and demand is quite marked, and uh, that means that the prices will just keep going up. So we'll have a break now on Property Matters. A little bit of music coming to you. This is Alanis Morissette, You Learn.
you're listening to Property Matters on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, Te Reo Irirangi o Ngā Tāngata o Manawatu. I'm Greg Watson, it's lovely having your company today. And I was in a meeting this morning where I was talking with a number of people in real estate channels and we're talking about something which is mirrored in this article by Miriam Bell. It says, house sellers are reluctant to list if they can't buy first. So there's a big shortage of houses for sale, which we talked about before the gap uh, there, and the potential seller's hesitancy to list their property in case they're not able to buy themselves is not helping the situation. They give an example. When Nat- Natasha Crowley decided it was time to sell her house in Ellerslie, Auckland recently, she was reluctant to list it until she had secured a new home. In the four and a half years she had owned her house with her parents, it had significantly gained in value. She wanted to capitalise on her share of that to buy a house solely in her name. But she had friends who had been house hunting unsuccessfully for many months as the market kept moving up and she did not want to take that risk and potentially miss out herself. So she decided to buy a new townhouse off the plan and once that arrangement was sorted, she put her house up for sale. She's renting while she waits for the new house to be completed, but she's happy with her move because she bought a property without the stress and costs that other movers she know incurred. So let's talk about what you can do uh, as an alternative, and this is what I was talking with some real estate people about this morning, salespeople. So the fear is that, uh, well, people aren't wanting to buy a property because they've got one to sell, and in a market that's very busy, like the one that we have in Manawatu, Wanganui, you're often competing in multiple offers against people who don't have a house to sell. So here's a solution for you. You can make an offer on a property subject to the sale of your property. So what this means is you can make an offer and put a clause into a contract saying, I'll buy this house provided that my house sells within a certain time period. And this is much easier then to be able to commit to making an offer on a property. And that means that in the current market where it's pretty busy, that uh, your property will sell um, and, um, and then you can go from there. But another way that this can be done is actually the reverse as well, which is where you sell your home subject to successfully buying one. And this is the key part that I wanted to mention this morning is that so you can sell your house now. You can accept a price. You know exactly how much money you've got to spend. But there's a clause in your contract saying that it's conditional upon you finding a home within a certain period of time. Now, many buyers will wait and are happy to wait. And um, and then it's just a matter of knowing then, you know, exactly how much you have to spend. You can put an offer in, a much better offer straight away when you see a property and compete in a much better way against people who uh, don't have a house to sell because you've effectively already worked out where you are financially. So just to mention that again, you can sell your house with a clause in it saying that, uh, yes, we accept a certain amount of money and the sale will go unconditional will go through provided that you can find a home that you're happy with and that's that's something to consider so the article here was saying yes they're reluctant to um, sell first because if you can't buy then they worry about being in a situation where they've got no home so this gets around that by giving you the surety that you'll have somewhere to live it'll either be that your home doesn't sell uh, in other words the conditions aren't met you haven't successfully found something to live in or you do, in which case it sells. So that's something that works out um, and can work out particularly well in a market like this. It's not common, 
but it is well worth considering because that way people can accept a longer settlement time. Uh, and that, that means that, uh, you know, you could say if you f- find a house within the next um, six weeks, eight weeks or three months, provided the buyers are happy with that, uh, then that's great. And given the market at the moment, those buyers could still be very confident they're going to buy your property successfully. Here's something just uh, slightly left field. We're going to talk about uh, moisture and uh, in terms of uh, your home and what you can do about that. So... The number one thing, I guess, I mean, you can, with moisture on the windows and weeping windows, the main solution to that isn't actually something you can buy on a hardware store shelf, according to this article by Michaela Wilkes on stuff.co.nz. Yeah, you can buy motorised window cleaning vacuums and squeegees, but they're all rather more expensive than the first option the experts suggest to try, which is opening a window. You see, condensation is caused by the air inside your house holding moisture in it. When there's dampness in the air and it hits a cold surface like a window, the air cools down, can't hold as much moisture as water vapour, and so it becomes water. Both the census and general social survey show that dampness and mould are common in New Zealand homes, which is why most Kiwis probably have fond childhood memories of playing tic-tac-toe or finger-painting temporary artworks on their windows. However, the simplest solution um, is that Light condensation, especially if it only happens on the coldest days of year, um, does not indicate a dampness issue. But if you find yourself mopping up windows on a regular basis, you need to get rid of that moisture from your home. And some of the best advice, according to Dr. Gareth Gretton from the Energy Efficiency and Conservation Authority, is in the morning before you go outside, open the windows wide for about 10 minutes to air the house out. That is the best way of getting relatively dry outdoor air into your house, which will then warm up throughout the day if there's any sunshine. In a new well-built house with double glazing and whole house ventilation system, they wouldn't need to do this, but many people don't have those, and that's why it's so important to open the windows and let the fresh air in. Now the second step might be moisture removal, and that can be done in a couple of ways. The first thing is to reduce the source of the dampness. So look under your house, make sure there aren't any drainage, guttering, downpipe or plumbing problems because one of the biggest sources is moisture evaporating up from the ground through your floors as much as 40 litres per day per 100 square metres according to Consumer Magazine. So try to reduce or adapt daily activities that are adding moisture to your home by the bucket load. Drying one load of washing can add 5 litres of moisture to a household's air. So if you use a dryer, ensure it vents outside or make a good use of sunny days in a clothes horse. I've recently got a condenser dryer, which is also a very good way of doing it, where the, the water uh, basically pulls inside the machine in a, a tank that you can then empty. Other simple things, use pot lids when you're cooking to contain steam, a kitchen range or a fan that vents outside because cooking adds around 3 litres of moisture per day. Showers and baths add up to about 1.5 litres per day per person, so use an extractor fan if you've got one, or at least open the window. So really that's, um, so you don't really need an expensive gadget to get rid of these things. You can mop up with a cloth, that's another option, but uh, it's important to know that um, Whatever weapon you choose, removing the moisture is worthwhile. And, and again, just going back to the opening the windows, look, we know it's cold in the morning, but a few minutes, get that air through, get the, the healthier air in, the damp air out, and uh, that'll also make your home easier to heat and healthier for you as well. 
So just a little bit of advice there around moisture. I hope that's of some help. I'm going to go home and uh, try some of that myself. Even though my home is a 1990s built home, it gets moisture on the windows. So I'll be opening some windows tomorrow morning, just let that fresh air through, particularly if we have a nice sunny day. So thank you for listening today. I'm Greg Watson. This has been Property Matters. This is available on MPR, Manawatu People's Radio, NZ, or where all good podcasts are found. Have a great week. We'll see you in a week's time. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.